If you guys didn't know, there's been many professional football leagues outside of the NFL. Which ones were direct competitors and which ones were complementary leagues to the National Football League? My boy, CC, is in the house again. He's going to break it down for you today on the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boo! What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Game Time Guru. Once again, I'm your host, Shane Larson. And before we get started, you guys know the drill. You got to find me on social media. Find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any one of those outlets if you want to follow me on a daily basis. Instagram, I'm trying to give you a more behind-the-scenes look at what I'm doing um, on the day-to-day. Also, you can find me on the Bronco Nation News uh, podcast. I'm going to be doing a Bronco Nation News Facebook Live video um, every week before the games start, so you can find me there if you're a Boise State football fan. But um, make sure to also find me on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, any one of those platforms. You can find me there. Subscribe to the podcast. Why? Because it's much more convenient to listen to it there than it is to listen to it on Facebook. And a big reason why is because on those uh, platforms, you can actually listen to it at two times speed, so you don't have to listen to it all. You know, if it's 40 minutes long, you can cut that down to 20 minutes if you just listen to it uh, with 2x speed. Uh, I know a lot of people like to do that, including myself. So make sure to go subscribe and please leave me a review. All right, guys. So once again, I am joined by the great CC Hockley, and I want to talk about some of the work that he's done so far. You guys know him. He's been on the show before, but Let's take a look at some of the articles that CC's written um, for us here on the Game Time Guru. Article number one, FC Boise, the Hawks blueprint to bring minor league soccer to the city of trees. Go check it out on thegametimeguru.com. He's got that article. He's got another one called Just Win in Vegas, Baby, the Major League's Exodus to Sin City. And you also want to check out Hockey in America, the United States Dilemma, and Promoting Canada's Game. All right, and he also has some guest appearances. Like I said, you've heard him on the show. If not, check out episode 15, Hockey Talk with C.C. Hockley, as well as episode 21, Face Off with C.C. Hockley. But he has been on the show. He's here with me again. C.C., thank you for coming on. Hey, Shane, glad to be back. This is the third time I'm here, and episode 29. You're almost a 30, man. Almost it's kinda, a 30. It's kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, it's been a joy listening to it. And, uh, you know, after kind of the heavy topic that you had uh, – had last week with the protests and everything it's it's good to kind of take a step back we're still talking football but right. it'll be good to kind of ease into what we've got to talk about today that's exactly so. what i was thinking i'm happy to have you here to kind of make it more of a fun informative transition from the heavy topic last week so thanks for joining me man absolutely thank you for having me no doubt dude and uh before we get started in case you guys don't know cc very well this is what we're gonna do we're gonna get to know him uh, a few quick questions to get the show on the road so you ready for this one I'm ready. All right. Lay it on me. So, CC, you mentioned you mentioned you were a uh, Utah Jazz fan growing up. Um, outside of John Stockton, Carl Malone, who was your favorite jazz player in the glory days? I'm going to say Jeff Hornacek. All he, right. Jeff Hornacek, you know, obviously he's a head coach in the NBA now, and he always kind of had that field general sort of, you know, sort of vibe to him. And, you know, John Stockton is and will always be my favorite NBA player, but I think Jeff Hornacek is kind of modeled in the same way. You know, great three-point shooter, you know, just really, really a solid team player and obviously a good a good coach. And, well, 
he, he's a coach for the Knicks, so good is a relative term. <laughs> well, he, yeah, he, he does his job. He does his job, yes. <laughs> yeah, I liked Hornacek as well. Um, just to, to stay on that topic real quick, Byron Russell, Brian yeah. Russell. He was my favorite. Had his jersey. He, outside of the, the main guys, Russell was my boy, dude. Russell was solid, too. I love yeah, Russell. Absolutely. Man, the glory absolutely. days. The glory days. <sighs> All right, CC. In your opinion, who's the greatest athlete to ever play? Doesn't matter which sport, which athlete. Mm. You know, I'm going to go back almost 100 years for this. I'm going to say Jim Thorpe. And the reason I'm saying Jim Thorpe is because he won two gold medals in, 19, in the 1912 Olympics mm-hmm. in the decathlon and the pentathlon. He also played professionally in basketball, football, and baseball. You want to talk about the best athlete of all time? Go do some research on Jim Thorpe, and you will be you will be thoroughly impressed, no doubt. All-purpose athlete. For sure. I mean, yeah. you asked me what, who the best athlete was, and Jim Thorpe, he typified that 100 years before LeBron James. I like it. Or Tom Brady, or name your, you know, Bryce Harper. Jim Thorpe. First time I've heard that, but I like the reasoning. Remind everyone who your favorite professional football team is, real quick. That would be the Denver Broncos. That said, okay, so he's a Denver Broncos fan. I want you to uh, let us know who's the greatest quarterback of all time with that, because you guys had a great quarterback um, in your history of the Broncos, and I'm curious to see your opinion on this. Who was the greatest quarterback of all time? You know, John Elway and Peyton Manning were both Hall of Fame. You know, they're up there on the top 10, top 20 list of great quarterbacks of all time. You know, it's timely, and obviously they're a rival, but I'm going to go with Tom Brady. Uh, I know. I I, I know. I hate saying it. I do. Trust me. Being a Denver fan, I hate confessing to it. But when you win five Super Bowls, when you can play at the caliber that he does at age 40, Yes. you know, I mean, it puts Brett Favre's longevity down a notch. It puts, you know, Peyton Manning. It puts John Elway. It puts them – just a step below even Joe Montana you know I would say it's Tom Brady one Joe Montana two all right I would just based on the accolades of taking their teams to a Super Bowl on a consistent basis or at least to the playoffs on a consistent basis I'm going to reluctantly say Tom Brady okay I'm just gonna be completely honest here I have to (laughs) just okay I did an episode long time ago like when I first started the podcast on why I'd, I, I I just kind of you know debated whether or not Tom Brady was the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. I've got to say right now though, Grandpa's getting it done. All right, he's For sure. he's still performing. His team's not doing too hot, but he's still performing extremely well. Like the first four games, I've actually been extremely impressed. And it stems back to the Super Bowl. Started off terrible, finished strong. Right now he's still kicking. I may have to change my opinion. We'll, we'll just I'm gonna wait. <laughs> but I just – I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but I understand with the reasons that you said. Like, he is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, quarterbacks to ever play the game. I was just wondering, because of John Elway and Peyton Manning being in on the Broncos in that organization, um, what your thoughts were. So that's that's good to know. I mean, at least you're a true sports fan, and you, you have the respect even if it's a division – or not a division rival, the, the conference rival. Conference rival, right. yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of quarterbacks, I want to touch base on Kurt Warner real quick. Now, this guy played for the Iowa Barnstormers in the Arena Football League in the mid-90s, the Amsterdam Admirals in the NFL Europe, which we might talk about here in just a little bit, right? He made his way to the NFL. And just a few months back, we had the um, Pro Football Hall of Fame that uh, was in Canton, and he was inducted, and he gave his speech. And I want to quote Kurt Warner because it's going to get us into our discussion today. This is what Kurt Warner said. This is one of the (laughs) – it's a very, very small snippet of the speech that he gave. But I quote, 
I, possibly more than anyone else up here, embrace that I am inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not just the NFL Hall of Fame. I wear that as a badge of honor because without pro football in all its forms and fashions, I'm not here tonight. What do you mean by pro football? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. The king of all professional football leagues is the NFL. And on a previous episode of mine, uh, I mentioned how the UFC is like what I would say the Amazon of the mixed martial arts industry. The NFL or the National Football League is the quote unquote Amazon of the professional football industry. And every other league that's coexisted during the time of the NFL has fallen into two categories. It's either a competitor or it's a complementary league, right? Correct. So, okay. Yes. So, yeah, you got it. <laughs> did I say that right? All right. Shane was looking over at me like, is that correct? Did yes. I say that right? Okay. You, yeah, you got it, man. Complementary or a competitor. And today we're going to break this down and we're going to go in chronological order. And we're going to, of all these, we're going to discuss the different professional football leagues that have that have existed during the time of the NFL and, and whatnot. And we're going to talk about whether or not they're a complementary league or a competitor. So I got CC here. He's going to break it down for you with all his knowledge, as he always does. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, my man. So let's start off with, like, can you just give us a background of, you know, organized professional football real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So in the late 1800s or the 1890s going into the 1910s, football was a very regional thing when it came to leagues. So it was a lot kind of like minor league baseball. You know, you have the Pacific Coast League and then you've got all the Atlanta leagues and everything. It was kind of the same thing in pro football. You know, you had your, your Pennsylvania League. You had your New York, Ohio, Michigan, Chicago, Green Bay. It was very territorial. And the NFL kind of rose from that regional territorial you know vibe that pro football gave off and it was founded in 1920 as american professional football association or the apfa and it converged into the nfl into 1922 and you know you had your chicago bears you had your your green bay packers chicago went by something different they went by the decatur uh the the decatur staley's what? Yeah, yeah, they went by the Decatur okay. Staley's, and then they they eventually morphed into Chicago Bears. But back in the back in the early 1900s, they were the Decatur Staley's. So early 1900s, man, the NFL has been around for a very long time. Correct. That's crazy. It's true. All right, man. So you guys have a, a brief understanding of how professional football and the NFL started when it started. We're gonna break it in or break into the AFL. Break it down for us, CC. The American Football League. So there was actually three prior. Three prior instances of um, the American Football League, um, 1926, 1936, and 1940. Um, oh. The fourth incarnation is the most well-known, the one that was established in 1960. Okay. And it was started by owners who were not granted an NFL franchise in different cities and places like that, or they actually had a minor stake in current, or at least at the time, current NFL franchises. So you, you, you were looking at kind of the first actual rival to the NFL. Okay. So they actually signed three-fourths of the NFL's first-round draft choices, including Heisman Trophy winner Billy Cannon signing with the Houston Oilers back okay. in 1960. So they were they were legitimate right out of the gate. So they had eight initial teams. They had contracts with both ABC and NBC at separate times. They had successful teams. They had successful team moves, I should say. You know, it, it's hard to navigate, you know, teams moving sometimes, but they actually had success from the Houston Texans moving to, not the Houston Texans, sorry, uh, the Houston team going to Kansas City, 
Okay. And then at the L.A. team that they had going to San Diego, the L.A. LA Chargers. L.A. team going to San Diego? Yes, yeah. Oh. The, the Chargers were actually the L.A. Chargers for their first season in the NFL, or the AFL, excuse me. And they actually moved to San Diego after their first season. Isn't that ironic? Yeah, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is, you know, history coming back around again. So, yeah, they the rebranding of the New York Titans to the New York Jets and then Miami joining the league in 1966 to expand the team or expand the league to nine teams. Yeah, they were they were legitimately building up, you know, momentum to really challenge the NFL. Um, Atlanta actually had a bid to join the AFL, and the NFL actually outbid the uh, the AFL to have an- the Atlanta Falcons join the NFL instead of the AFL. Really? So yeah, yeah. Back, back in 1965. Um, the merge between the two leagues actually began in 1966 after Dallas Cowboys GM Tex Schramm and other NFL owners held a secret meeting to merge the leagues together over the next few years. Hence why Super Bowls one through four were NFL versus AFL. You had, you know, Green Bay versus Kansas City, Green Bay versus Oakland, the New York Jets versus the Baltimore Colts and the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Minnesota Vikings. Now, the Bengals joined the AFL in 1968. And the AFL actually became the AFC in 1970. All 10 teams, plus Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore, who each got $3 million to join the AFC, which isn't too bad of a deal. And lo and behold, you had your American Football Conference, and the NFL became the overarching league over the NFC and the AFC. Isn't that interesting how the history of that all all came together? Right. Okay, so... Let's talk about some rule changes here real quick in sure. regards to these. Yeah, so um, the AFL was actually the first league to adopt names on the back of player jerseys, which the NFL, of course, then adopted as well. They used the stadium scoreboard for their um, for their game clock, not just the stopwatches like the NFL was using at the okay. time. Seems like a well-duh sort of thing, but the AFL was actually predating the NFL doing that. Um, they had a 14-game schedule, which was unheard of at the time. I think the NFL had a 12-game schedule. And they actually used the two-point conversion 34 years before the NFL instituted it in 1994. That's crazy to me because just you stating all that information, it almost seems like the AFL was ahead of ahead of the game. Well, the game as we know it today, they were ahead of the game compared to the NFL, but the NFL basically kind of absorbed it. Right, yeah. There was talks for a merger you know, in regards to the AFL having franchises in cities where the NFL did not. You know, yeah. and to realize, hey, this is, you know, salaries are going up in both of our leagues. So right. what do we need to do? Let's merge. It makes sense business-wise. So. I like it. So tell me right now, then, you, you've mentioned a couple words that I, I, I heard you say. Rival, they were there to challenge it, but then they merged. Is the AFL a competitor or a complementary league? Was it a, a competitor or a complementary league to the National Football it League? It was straight up a competitor. Okay. I mean, yes, I, I didn't say it in so many words because we were kind of leaving that till the end of each league, but it was straight up a competitor, competitor. For sure. They were rivaling the league until they finally realized, both leagues, that, you know what? It makes more business sense to merge. And so they did. And that's kind of why they started it in 1966, you know, easing into it with the Super Bowls and – now we have the NFC and the AFC because of it. It's really interesting. So hopefully you guys that are listening learned something there because it almost sounds like the AFL could have probably like, you know, continued to compete, but they're, you know, sometimes when you're going on, you know, head on with that train, eventually something's got to give. And I think they'd made a decision that was good for both leagues. Obviously now look what it's grown into. It's Correct. huge. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like 
benefited both of them quite well. It's crazy, man. Crazy information as always. All right, let's let's go to the ACFL. What is the ACFL? So the ACFL stands for Atlantic Coast Football League, and it was a league that existed between 1962 and 1973. And initially it worked as a farm system, kind of like minor league baseball. Once again, it worked as a farm system for both the NFL and the AFL. And it had a whole bevy of franchises from Atlanta to Portland, Maine, and uh, right up and down the, uh, you guessed it, the Atlantic Coast, just like the name <laughs> connotates. So some teams had some actively, active minor league affiliations with the New York Jets, Baltimore Colts, Buffalo Bills, New York Giants, Boston Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles, New Orleans Saints, and the Washington Redskins. All right. So I think it's kind of written there for us. But is it a competitive or complimentary league? Yeah, the writing is on the wall. It was most definitely a complimentary league. Do you have any information on why they went away with that? Was it just not working? Did you hear anything about that by chance when you were researching it? Because I'm not too familiar with it. And I'm wondering, as we're, I mean, even today in the in the NFL, we're wondering, like, why we can't get a farm system of some kind. Maybe we'll go into it more. I'm just wondering why it didn't, it just seems like a good idea to me, is well, what I'm saying. yeah, I mean, it just, financially, you'll you'll notice a pattern here. You know, a lot of financial reasons for these leagues not sticking around. Okay. You know, it's just, it wasn't fiscally. Finances. Yeah, it wasn't fiscally responsible for these owners to continue these, you know, minor leagues. But um, some of them, they were competitors for other minor leagues too. Ah. And we'll, we'll kind of get into that as well, Good. for sure. All right. What is this one? The COFL? The COFL? <laughs> How do you pronounce it, man? What do you tell us about this? Well, it's it's different than the CFL, so I think that's why the abbreviation was C, lowercase OFL, okay. stands for Continental Football League. Right. So this one existed between 65 and 69, and it actually had the only ever Mexican professional football team, the Mexico Golden Aztecs. But that was after they absorbed Crazy. the Texas Football League. And it was only for one season in 1969. They also had teams in Montreal, um, Victoria, British Columbia, and Hawaii, which was pretty really? interesting. Yeah, they, um, they, they, they actually had Ken Stabler, who won a, a Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders. They had him on the Spokane Shockers, and that was a team that, obviously, out of Spokane, Washington, um, you know, had a young, young Ken Stabler on their squad. Um, other markets they had was Sacramento, Eugene, Oregon, Seattle, Long Beach, California, San Jose, and Anaheim. Once again, all markets that did not have NFL franchises at that time. At that time. It was all across the West Coast, the United States there, and then obviously Montreal, Victoria, Hawaii that you said before. Correct. Mexico. That's interesting because Mexico apparently has a – like we've heard it before. Like if, are they going to put a National Football League team there, whatever? Right. Apparently they have a good fan base. Mm-hmm. All right, that maybe that stems from way back then. It possibly, I'm yeah, sure it does. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So the COFL, the Continental Football League, competitor or complementary league? They were actually a direct competitor to the NFL and the AFL. And once the NFL and AFL started the merge talks, the Continental Football League just lost steam. That's why they only lasted four years. All right, what about the WFL? The WFL was a short little, short little league. Ninety or sorry, nineteen. 74 to 1975 they are the world football league so they actually this was this was kind of the first threat to the nfl after the afl merger um it was you know it was only four or five years after the merger completed but the world football league let me give you some info on it and i can i can share how it was it, it changed the landscape. I was really surprised when I was doing my research how much, in, in such a short period of time, how much the WFL really messed things up for the NFL. All right. So 
they actually lured a lot of NFL talent and um, they raised salaries in the NFL along the way with something they were trying to avoid with the AFL as well. Um, they signed three players from the defending Super Bowl champion Miami Dolphins, fullback Larry Zonka, halfback Jim Kick, and wide receiver Paul Warfield. Wow. Yeah, so they just did a talent grab right out of Miami, which affected it because then that gave the Dallas Cowboys, that gave the Pittsburgh Steelers an in to raise their heads as competitors in the NFL and viable Super Bowl contenders, which obviously they won three each in the 70s. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that was that was huge. Um, Kenny Stabler, who I mentioned earlier in the Continental Football League, he signed with the, the Birmingham Americans, Birmingham, Alabama. The Cowboys lost quarterback Craig Morton and running back Calvin Hill to teams in Houston and Hawaii, respectively. Uh, man, uh, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, the ACFL – um, the WFL's existence caused the ACFL and another minor league football league, <laughs> the Seaboard Football League or the SFL, they caused them to fold after luring away talent from the minor leagues as well because, yeah, it's just the, the talent grab that the World Football League did in such a short amount of time is actually, it's pretty remarkable how they pulled it off. But, yeah, they established themselves in big markets like Chicago, Detroit, Houston, New York, and some of the smaller markets like the aforementioned Birmingham, Alabama, Jacksonville, Florida, Hawaii, Portland, Oregon, and Memphis. I mean, yeah, it it was short but sweet, though. I mean, like I said, they folded in 1975. Low attendance teams were ceasing operations and overspending on players. You know, they wanted to lure the big names over, so they just would drop all this money Again, if you're sensing a theme that is arising from this topic, then, you know, overplaying players is definitely going to be one of them. So um, it's crazy to yeah. me the <laughs> the city. OK, I'm looking at the small markets that we referenced, right? Birmingham, Jacksonville, right. Hawaii, Portland, Uh huh. Birmingham. You and I were talking about this before the podcast. Uh, what else is in Birmingham? What's that? What else is around Birmingham, Alabama, as far as football? Oh, I don't know. The Alabama Crimson Tide. Exactly. <laughs> You got Auburn just down the road, too. Correct, right. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that had a direct impact. And I wonder, my wife and I, I was talking to CC about this. So for listeners, I was talking about this with my wife as far as, like, why there isn't a, a professional football team there. And I said, you know, well, Alabama is their professional football team. So is Auburn, you know. And, like, that's their professional football teams. I wonder if that had a direct impact. I mean, the the history of, you know, collegiate football in those cities, like in that city specifically. Oh, possibly, yeah. This definitely wasn't the first foray. Of a, of a professional or semi-professional league going into Birmingham, Alabama. Stay tuned. Okay, so <laughs> we got more coming that way. All right, so so the WFL, you know, straight threat to the NFL, obviously the, the ACFL. So would we say competitor or complementary? Definitely a competitor. All I right. Mean, once you lure NFL talent away and you're trying to establish markets in, in NFL cities and non-NFL cities – I would say you're definitely a direct competitor, but once again, they were, you know, a quick little burning flame that just fizzled out real, real fast. Man, and the NFL stayed standing strong. Okay. You got it. AFA. All righty. So the AFA, the American, the American Football Association, lasted from 1977 to 1983. They played on Saturday nights in the summer from Memorial Day weekend to August. They're a, they were a deeply southern league. So you had teams in Oklahoma, Alabama, Kentucky, Florida, Texas, North Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi, Virginia, Louisiana, West Virginia, and 
Chicago. One of these things. It's not, not like, like the, the other. other. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. <laughs> Chicago, Illinois. So many clubs lasted just one season, if that. And they actually existed for a season or two about the same time as the USFL, which we'll be getting into after this. But, yeah, it was it was a pretty unstable league in regards to just clubs folding, not lasting even a season. So, yeah, deeply Southern League, though, which obviously, you know, the market wasn't quite broached yet for the NFL to join in putting more clubs and more NFL squads in the Sun Belt. Right, and the fact that they played at a different time of the year – um, as we mentioned, like more towards the summer. What, with that being said, and the fact that they were, you know, hitting a new market, are we saying competitor or complementary? We are saying complementary okay. because they were specifically focusing on markets that were not NFL markets. And like you said, they played in the summertime. So they're not trying to compete with the NFL playing in the fall and into the winter. Nice. And you mentioned USFL. That's our next one. USFL. Let's talk about this. All right. The USFL, the major competitor i just gave it away (laughs) let's talk about it i like it if you've seen the 30 for 30 small potatoes why the usfl failed on espn then you already know that the usfl was a major competitor to the national football league in the 1980s they they existed from 1982 to 1986 initially they had a spring summer schedule but they were looking to play the 1986 season in the fall and the winter which we'll get into in just a second. Okay. So New Orleans businessman David Dixon in 1965 actually had the idea to have a league play in the spring and summertime. Now, Dixon was instrumental in the construction of the Super Bowl. Super Bowl? (laughs) That's not what I meant to say. Superdome. 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 The construction of the Superdome and bringing an NFL franchise to New Orleans. So Dixon, this idea, you know, some owners in the 80s were like, hey, Let's get a spring-summertime league going, and and we'll go from there. So some notable, notable players that you will recognize. Jim Kelly. Yes. A former Buffalo Bills glory. He played for the Houston Gamblers. Steve Young. Yes. Former San Francisco 49ers quarterback, played for the LA Express. Doug Flutie. You eating your Flutie flakes still? Because <laughs> that box has got to be years old by now. He played for the New Jersey Generals. Reggie White, one of the best Lineman of all time, number 92 for the Green Bay Packers, played for the Memphis Showboats. And Herschel Walker played for the New Jersey Den- uh, New Jersey Generals as well. Herschel Walker, um, hello, people. One of the better running backs and more well-known. Hmm. Um, I'm a Cowboys fan. Yeah. so Obs, yeah, obviously. So, <laughs> so, I mean, he's a big name. These are big names that were in the USFL. Yeah, yeah. And uh, – you know, former Buffalo Bills Super Bowl coach Marv Levy, he coached the Chicago Blitz in 1984. Um, you know, you had teams in Tampa Bay, Jacksonville, Birmingham, Alabama, and Memphis, and they all did well because they were not in markets that had Major League Baseball teams. So that spring-summertime, you know, focus that a lot of cities had on Major League Baseball, those markets didn't have that burden. So... Those, those teams actually did really well during that time. Um, teams in NFL markets, however, actually had a really difficult time because the NFL, starting to flex its muscle a little bit, did not allow those USFL teams, you know, the Chicago Blitz. Let's use that for an example. Right. The NFL's like, you're going to play at Sh- Soldier Field? Uh, 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 no, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't blame them. No, I don't either. I mean, 
if you've got somebody biting at your heels, what are you going to do? Just let them walk into your house and start playing football? Absolutely not. No. So, yeah, that was uh, that was rough on on you know franchises because then it either forced them to find an alternate site in the same city or to move their franchise on a short notice. So, yeah, that was pretty brutal for them. There was no hard salary cap. Um, it led to runaway and unsustainable spending by teams. Again, another theme that we are picking up on here. Yeah, um, uh, finances, man. Uh, t- to beat the NFL, it seems like a lot of people you got to put in the money in to try to beat the competitor. Um, something to talk about, Jim Jim Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's off that thirty for thirty you were referencing. To my understanding, like he was going to be drafted in the NFL, but the USFL gave him like a huge offer. I think that's and that he was contemplating like which one he should go to and whatnot and they gave him a really good deal like they were throwing big time money at these players right yeah and that's and that's ultimately the folly that like i said this is a common thread a common theme with all these leagues is that you know they're just throwing big money at these names to get brand recognition and ultimately it puts the franchises in jeopardy because you are trying to establish yourself with these names like jim kelly did you know jerry rice was actually drafted number one by the usfl i did not yes he was actually drafted by the USFL, but he decided to go to the NFL instead. So great. Well, it's probably a good decision, obviously. Uh, In (laughs) hindsight, absolutely. Yeah, but Jerry Rice, you know, I think in the four years that the USFL had a draft, only one number one pick actually went to the USFL. I can't remember the other names off the top of my head, but obviously Jerry Rice sticks out like a sore thumb because he is a Hall of Fame wide receiver. And Jim Kelly's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Steve Young's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Herschel Walker did not know this that he is not actually in the hall of fame oh okay didn't at least either. not that i read i thought he was in the hall of fame but maybe i just didn't read it in the place that i did but anyway i digress. well i can't fact check you on that <laughs> because i don't know I, I honestly don't know and that wouldn't surprise me now that i'm thinking about it so well he's a big name though yeah and that's big what name. that's what the usfl was looking for was name recognition no absolutely that's crazy um with that said the usfl is it a complimentary or a competitive league well, like I said earlier, you know, it was a competitor. You know, I kind of let the cat out of the bag earlier with that. But it was also complimentary. You know, it it had the initial three seasons in the spring-summer setup. So it was complimentary in the sense that it wasn't directly competing with the NFL. But slowly but surely, they started to... They started to want to, to get a piece of the pie, and, you know, salaries started getting driven up. Does this sound familiar? Maybe a- NFL, AFL sort of thing? Sounds like it. So there's a gentleman by the name of Donald Trump. Who? <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> President Trump, as we know him these days. He was actually a majority owner of the New Jersey Generals Football Club of the USFL. He voted with other team owners in 1985 to move to a fall schedule in 1986 for that season. Now, this was a business move mm-hmm. on behalf of the USFL to force a merger between the NFL and the USFL because they saw the writing on the wall. They're like, we keep losing money. Let's merge. Let's force the NFL's hand to absorb some of the teams. So what they did was that they also sued the NFL for having a monopoly, quote-unquote, on professional football in the United States of America. The reason they did this was just to secure funds so that they could continue on operating as a league. So under this, oh, under this kind of shoddy plan, you know, to sue the NFL to see if they could get some money from them, they actually won the lawsuit. However, they only got one dollar. 
Okay, so explain. (laughs) So they only got $1 because the jury awarded them the jury awarded them the win, I guess. They won the lawsuit, but you know, with all the attorney's fees and everything like that, you know, the USFL was basically losing all of this money to try and and stick it to the NFL when they already already were deeply in the red on on their finances and everything. And the jury awarded them the they won the lawsuit, but they only got $1 because the jury thought that okay, the judge can go back and amend that amount uh-huh. in the future, but since it was an antitrust law, they tripled it to three dollars. <laughs> Who? <laughs> oh man! So the USFL kind of came out of it with egg on their face because, you know, they had lost over a hundred and sixty-three million dollars, and they wanted to recoup those losses by forcing the NFL into a merger. And the NFL didn't bite. They did not merge any of the teams from the USFL into the NFL. Although, you know, they had a team in Arizona and. The Cardinals moved from Chicago to Arizona in 1988. You know, they had a team in Alabama, once again, just to throw that out there. But, you know, L.A., the L.A. Express, they didn't have an NFL team at the time. Uh, The Baltimore Stars, obviously the Ravens came along 10 years later. Jacksonville Bulls, you know, you've got the Jaguars about 10 years later. And, you know, San Antonio, that's been kicked around as an idea, but that's kind of in Dallas' territory, so that's probably why they don't have a pro franchise in the NFL. What an interest! Three dollars. I'm stuck up on the three dollars. That's three McChickens from McDonald's that they wanted to go it's, out to dinner. You know, it's for, true. Celebrate their victory, quote unquote. Fun, funny thing is, they never cashed a check. Ha! They never cashed that check. It was just, it was a very, very hollow victory. I, I can imagine. Yeah, no Goodness doubt. Gracious. Okay, so the USFL competitor slash complimentary then merge. Competitor complimentary, complicated. Complicated like it all right so let's talk about the arena football league arena football and what about that well like you mentioned with kurt warner being a part of the iowa barnstormers at Mm -hmm. the beginning of the segment yeah arena foot arena football league's been around for a minute they were established in 1987 it's weird how these leagues have very little overlap sometimes but arena football established in 1987 you know, after USF, USFL folded in 1986, they had teams, you know, double digit number of teams from 92 to 2005, anywhere between 10 in 1993 to 19 in 2007. You know, they were doing pretty well. I remember games on ESPN2 getting aired in the mid 90s. I remember watching the Arizona mm-hmm. Rattlers and I kind of adopted them and like, hey, this is a, you know, they got a cool logo. They got yeah. the snake on there and everything. And this is this is pretty fun to watch. You know, right. it's a lot faster paced game than you know, than the NFL just because it's a 50-yard field and you're playing in indoor stadiums. And it, it was just – it was a good time. And being a kid in middle school, I'm like, I like this. This oh, is yeah. fun. This is fun. Uh, the AFL actually, they established a minor league called AF2, and that was from 2000 to 2009. We'll come back to that here in a second. Um, the AFL actually jumped to a contract to NBC from 2003 to 2006. I remember the commercials airing on NBC. You know, you had John Bon Jovi, yes. who was a majority holder in the Philadelphia Soul. You had John Elway, who was a kind of a co-owner of the Colorado Crush. Like, the AFL was starting to pick up steam, you know, from 2003 right. to 2006. But, yeah, it was more of a summertime league before moving to NBC, but then NBC wanted to push the season to late January so it would start right after the Super Bowl. You know, it was like, yeah, there was a commercial I saw on YouTube. It said, are you suffering from PSSD or post Super Bowl stress disorder or pissed 
<laughs> that was the commercial. I'm That's like, clever. are you serious? It's very <laughs> clever. But yeah, obviously, you know, they're not on NBC anymore. So it kind of, yeah, it kind of dissolved after three years. I know it's pretty ridiculous, that commercial. But hey, Boise actually had a yes, Arena Football did. 2 league. Uh, they had a team called the Boise Burn. They were around for three years from 2006 to 2009. The AF2 dissolved after no existing teams filed paperwork to continue on. None. That's brutal. That is brutal that your league is doing that bag that no teams want to continue on. You know what's funny to me, CC, is that I went to Burn. Did you ever get the opportunity to go to a Burn game? I did not. No, no dude, unfortunately, I did not. We went to one uh, a group of a group of friends and I, and uh, we group of friends and me, group of friends and me, I. Cooper Cooper friends. friends and I went to a game. <laughs> wow, I, that's beyond the point. This is grammar talk Dude, with holy Shane cow. Larson. <laughs> My goodness, we went to a game. We all we all painted our chests, the B U R N, and um, <laughs> we had a funny story with that. But uh, yeah, we we went there and we lifted up our shirts during the touchdown. But that game, like the stadium, the arena, CenturyLink Arena, was packed. It was packed every game they were that packed. sounds great it that was sounds awesome. so <laughs> fun like you had a couple local guys like bart Hendricks was technically the quarterback but then he ended up not playing or whatever but like i mean you had uh tim gilligan was there uh, lee marks i believe he was running back for boy state he was with them uh levi madriata or madrietta was there like all these local guys that were actually really good at football they were playing for the team nice. um coach lee leslie was well known he was the coach it was so exciting and honestly let me tell you this cool little tidbit from oh, that oh. game we were playing oklahoma city same year that boise state beat oklahoma in the fiesta bowl so it was kind of like oh it's like their pro team versus our okay very it comes down to the very last play of the game they're in coming up to the end zone they're like 10 yards away it's the last play of the game because the time was running out they score they win if we stop them we win like it was crazy how it was working out high high fast pit uh, fast paced game um yes highly fast paced game that's what i was trying to say anyways quarterback throws it into the corner of the end zone hits the referee referee gets knocked out with the ball ball hits the ground it's incomplete but he hits the referee and the, he he rocketed the ball drills the referee referee just drops so the crowd's going nuts but then at the same time we're like did that just happen we watched the game end because the referee got knocked out um with a throw as hard as he like darted it into the corner of the end zone oh my goodness anyways it was a lot of energy i don't know why it folded it was so much fun going to that well it was it was the league in general you know i mean that the, the parent Arena Football League actually folded. Well, they didn't fold. They ceased operations in 2009. Okay. So once the parent league did that, the AFL2, or the AF2, forgive me, they they kind of followed suit. They're just like, and all the teams were just like, okay, you know, this is the business plan. They were going to cease operations for a year and then regroup. Okay. So you had, you had the league reorganizing in 2009. Both the AFL and AF2 decided the teams to, to take on teams from both leagues to reorganize the AFL and just kind of regroup and just, you know, start from square one, start from scratch again. And gotcha. so, you know, average attendance suffered greatly. You know, it was 13,000 per game in 2008. It went down to 8,000 in 2010 after, the, after the break. It was rough. There's, you know, it, it's kind of sad. I hadn't heard about the league in a long time, and so I looked it up. There's only five teams in the AFL now. That's so sad. And they're all on the East Coast, like Philadelphia. You know, the Philadelphia Soul is really the only one I can think of off the top of my head. And um, Ron Jaworski from ESPN, Yeah, he's a, he's a majority owner in the Philadelphia Soul. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just like, wow, man, five teams left? They're looking to expand again. But it's just like, 
you know, AFL was a good, there was a good league for a while there, you know, had a lot of teams had exposure, but it's just like, it's small potatoes. Now, yeah. You know? It's, it's small and it's hard. I mean, the sport of football, it, it's, it's tough to like get a lot of money coming in with a sport that's kind of different, but that's what was cool about it. And they had all these indoor leagues too. And they, they still exist. Like the, they do. Yeah. Idaho had the Idaho stallions. And I think they lasted a year or two years uh, back in the day. It was the indoor football league of some kind. It was one of the very minor, minor, minor leagues of arena, but like, that that game is just unique in itself, so that's why I loved it. But right. I guess it just didn't get the popularity, just, you know? It didn't. I don't know. It just it, after the NBC debacle and yeah, finances once again. Yes. it's it's a it's a financial thing. You just got to establish establish roots in a community, and and when the whole league is you know toxic in regards to financial hemorrhaging, uh-huh. it's just like what can you do? What that's can you do, man? So unfortunate, I man. Know. So arena football competitor or complimentary? Totally complimentary. Yeah, especially when ESPN bought stake in the company in the early, oh, I want to say early, like the mid-2000s, like right after the NBC um, three years that they were there. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely complimentary, not looking to compete with the NFL for sure. Gotcha. Let's move on to the CFL. Talk about the CFL. Canadian Football League. Ooh. Canada. Talk, talking about Canada when we're talking about U.S. pro pro leagues? Oh, yes. What is this? Oh, yes. So in the mid-90s, the Canadian dollar was on the downturn. It okay. was it was suffering greatly. And the CFL, the Canadian Football League, wanted to see if they could broach the U.S. market to regain some of their, regain some of their losses. So what they did, um, U.S. expansion occurred from 1993 to 1995. So, you know, the, the slumping Canadian dollar, it also caused two NHL teams to go to America. The Quebec Nordiques moved to Colorado to become the Avalanche, and the Winnipeg Jets moved to Phoenix to become the Phoenix Coyotes. So that was another direct correlation because of the Canadian dollar suffering okay. in the mid-1990s. So the CFL, they had the Sacramento Gold Miners joining the league in 1993, followed by the Baltimore CFL Colts, which they had to change to Stallions because the NFL raised a stink about that. The Shreveport Pirates and the Las Vegas Posse joined the league in 1994. Interesting. Yeah. Baltimore actually averaged about 37,000 people at their games. They played in the old Memorial Stadium where the Baltimore Orioles played, and, yeah, they were doing gangbusters. That's more than the Chargers are doing right now, right? In Los Angeles, the in NFL. the in the twenty eight thousand seat <laughs> StubHub Center, that is more than the LA Chargers are doing right now. That's so crazy. Okay, continue. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah, nineteen ninety five came around. Vegas folded. Sacramento folded due to low attendance and profit losses. So the San Antonio Texans came in. The Memphis Mad Dogs and. Guess who? Birmingham, the Birmingham Barracudas. And all the teams average attendance in the tens of thousands. So they were doing pretty well. The big three networks in America, CBS, ABC, and NBC, they refused to cover the league because they didn't have any teams in major markets like New York or L.A. or, yeah. So they refused to cover the league. The Browns, they ultimately forced the Baltimore franchise to become defunct because the Browns decided to pick up shop and move to Baltimore to become the Ravens. By January and February of 1996, all five of the U.S. CFL franchises were defunct. And But the CFL is still standing right now Correct. with all their, their Canadian teams. It's crazy to hear how they had the U.S. teams. I did, like, 
before you even talked to me about this, I had no idea of like those franchises right. and, and where they were. Um, but it is kind of cool to see that they're still going strong now, holding their own with their, their own kind of organization, the way they run things. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say, though, I mean, the way it started with the U.S. teams, the U.S. franchises and everything, and even though they're still going today, would you consider the CFL a competitor or a complementary league to the National Football League? I would definitely view it as a complementary league. Okay. Um, they weren't trying to compete with the NFL in the mid-'90s when they were approaching the U.S. market. They were trying to save their bacon, their, okay. their Canadian bacon, their Canadian if bacon. you will. <laughs> Ba-dum, boom, boom. Ha-cha, ha But I digress. So, <laughs> so, yeah, they were trying to save their bacon. And, yeah, it, it's called complementary. It still is to this day. I mean, you, you've got a lot of Canadian players that, you know, play up in Canada because of CFL rules and things like that. And then you've got the NFL players that if they, you know, you got players like Doug Flutie who also played uh-huh. in the CFL, Warren Moon, you know, got his start in the CFL. So it's kind of a proving grounds. And, you know, if, if players are getting up there in age, I mean, I know Vince Young wanted to play for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders eventually. Um, I don't think it came to fruition, but I think Vince Young was broaching the idea a little bit. So um, I just watched something on ESPN about that. Yeah. What was that? I have no idea. <laughs> Vince Young, the Vince Young thing. I just watched it. It was on like it's like a Sports Center special or Saturday, whatever, whatever. Can't remember. Yeah. Anyways, not sure. No worries. No worries. Um, but yeah, CFL always kind of been a complimentary, you know, kind of a lower tier. But they also play in the off season of the NFL. Right. So, yeah, but it overlaps a little bit when it comes into the fall. But. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to the World League of Football slash NFL Europe. Alrighty. So. Paul Tagliabue, the former NFL commissioner, you know, he had this idea to establish professional football in Europe in 1989. Uh, Their first season was in the spring of 1991. They actually incorporated seven North American franchises and three European teams for the first couple seasons. So you had the Birmingham Fire, (laughs) Birmingham, Alabama, getting a lot of love, the Montreal Machine, New York, New Jersey Knights, the Ohio Glory, the Orlando Thunder, the Raleigh-Durham Skyhawks, the Sacramento Surge, there goes Sacto again, okay. and the San Antonio Riders. Now, they only did this for a couple seasons because they really wanted to focus on Europe. And so what they did was they regrouped and rebooted after, oh, I want to say the 1992 or 1993 season, and then they came back in 95 with just European clubs in Germany, Spain, and the United Kingdom. So... Yeah, they came back, they rebooted, and they offered a lot of good opportunities. And I actually am writing an article about this, about leagues and foreign leagues that gave North American players another opportunity to play professionally. Stay tuned for that. Yes. It's going to be coming on, for that one. coming this coming Tuesday. So, But yeah, like you mentioned, Kurt Warner played in the NFL Europe. Uh, Carolina Panthers Super Bowl quarterback Jake DeLone played in the NFL Europe. And Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl winning quarterback Brad Johnson also played in the NFL Europe. But uh, unfortunately, you know, it just didn't have a whole lot of name recognition. And by 2007, the final year, the MVP of the league was J.T. O'Sullivan, who at best was a third-string quarterback for the Chicago Bears. So the league was also losing $30 million a year. The NFL actually sponsored the NFL Europe. So to kind of jump the gun a little bit, I will answer the question you're going to ask. It, it's a compl- it was a complimentary league. It was a spring league. They played football in the spring. The NFL Europe was sponsored by the National Football League. And unfortunately, due to lack of name recognition and lack of players it was cranking out, 
it just it didn't and obviously the 30 million dollars it was losing it just didn't survive gotcha and remind me at the end of this we're going to kind of go back to the nfl europe i want to touch base on that so once again name recognition uh finances like you said this is kind of playing a role in every one of these leagues common themes common threads you bet let's go into the xfl oh lordy have mercy on the xfl so vince mcmahon the chairman of the wwf he actually wanted to buy the canadian football league in 1999 i did not know this until doing research here he wanted to buy the Canadian Football League to migrate it south. He wanted to bring the league into the United States. And imagine that. The owners of the league uh, said no. They're like, uh, 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 no, no. <laughs> they, they did not want that to occur. They wanted the CFL to stay in Canada. So Vince McMahon decided to team up with NBC. So the WWF and NBC were 50% owners of the XFL, uh, Dick Abersall, you know, worked with Vince McMahon to establish a Saturday night main event, the WWF show that they had in the 80s that highlighted Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and all the big names in the 80s. So they already had that connection and they wanted to establish a football league. And they put teams in Birmingham, Alabama, Memphis, Tennessee, Las Vegas. They all got franchises again in the XFL. Um, NBC actually lost its broadcast rights to the NFL in 1998. They were specifically adver or they were specifically airing AFC, you know, games. Mm-hmm. And now who has those rights? CBS. CBS. Right. Exactly. So in 1998, that's when the passing of that torch occurred. Although it was kind of like, give me that torch. <laughs> you right. Know? Not really a passing, more than a yank from CBS. So. So this took place during the NFL offseason. It encouraged rougher play, and it really emphasized some silly WWF-like tactics, you know, like keeping the cameras on the cheerleaders and, you know, emphasizing TNA over, you know, anything else, really. And so it was kind of a – it was a lot for show, a lot of, you know, dog and pony show sort of thing. So – but – the names of the teams as well was really kind of WWF, mm-hmm. WWE now, but at right. the time WWF, you know, it, it focused on either a lack of sanity or criminal activity. Listen to this real quick, Shane. Orlando Rage, Los Angeles Extreme, San Francisco Demons, the Memphis Maniacs with an X instead of a C at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be extreme. The Chicago Enforcers, New York, New Jersey Hitmen, Las Vegas Outlaws, and the Birmingham Blast. Now, in the 60s, you know, Birmingham had a lot of bombings in regards to the civil rights movement. So naturally, the people in Alabama got a little upset by the initial name. So they changed their name to the Thunderbolts or the Bolts. But yeah. Gotcha. Just, okay. I mean, you're, you are establishing a league on the premise of violence. Like specifically, we're going to be rougher. We're going to be violent. Our names indicated. It just was doomed from the beginning. It just wasn't going to work out. So the opening night drew a 9.5 Nielsen rating, which is great. Right. Next week. I remember that. Next week, 4.6. Another good 30 for 30 ESPN have. This was the XFL. That was another good one. It was a great one. Yeah. Yeah. ESPN does a bang-up job on those. You know, and between, you know, the violence and the accusations of being rigged because it was associated with the WWF. Right. And Bob Costas. NBC's own sports personality actually went on late night talk show ho- or talk shows and would tell the host, oh, yeah, when I, uh, you know, I had this brainchild about a decade ago of mediocre high school football and, you know, scantily clad cheerleaders. 
the XFL stole my idea. You know, very sarcastic, very, you know, trite. And, and you know, Bob Costas, if you don't have your own network personalities on board, you know, you're just you're just asking for trouble. It, it lasted one season, 2001. You know what's funny? And you mentioned the teams, and it was just – it was a – it's kind of like a joke. It's it's what it seemed. I was so hyped up for it. I was in seventh grade when it started, and I was <laughs> excited to watch it because it was all hyped up. The football was a different color. It was all everything was different. Oh yeah. Um, it was such a disappointment. But the thing was, they had the players could make their own names, and one of the most famous XFL players is he, he hate, hate me. me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Rod Smart and uh, Rod Smart. That was like his. He was one of the few, and I think he was one of the only um, that actually made it somewhere after that he i was reading up on him right here he was part of the las vegas outlaws he was there he he made a name for himself while he was there um, in the xfl and then he ended up actually having a pretty successful professional career played in the cfl and then he went Mm -hmm. to the nfl and played for quite a while um didn't he end up on the panthers yeah he was in the panthers and they won the nfc championship in 03 right um but yeah i mean he was with the eagles uh, with the Panthers and again with the Raiders. I mean, he actually made a pretty good career out of it, but he was sure. the only one. But to go back to your point of lack of talent, like the names, kind of in NFL Europe, the same thing with the XFL. It just didn't have names. It didn't have big-name players. Therefore, right. the the play was extremely poor. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how that documentary was talking about on the, the uh, 30 for 30. Right. It's like people, I didn't realize how bad it was. You know, and that was the thing with NFL Europe as well, is that people aren't going to watch crappy football. Oh, no, no, no. People no. are not going to pay money to watch bad football. Unless and, you're the Browns, and that's just all you got there, you know? <laughs> so that's they'll, they'll, they'll watch it. Oh, <laughs> hey, I'm glad Cleveland has their championship with the Cavs, but – Man, that fan base is hurting NFL-wise. They're loyal, though. you got to give them credit. <laughs> got to give them credit there. Now, you want to talk about name recognition. The only other two names I could find for XFL, Tommy Maddox. Oh, okay, yeah, Maddox. He was the MVP of the league, the one and only season that they had, and the late Rashawn Salam. Oh, Act, yeah, Rashawn he, Salam. He played for the Memphis Maniacs. So, you know, Heisman Trophy winner out of Colorado, mm-hmm. University of Colorado. He actually played for the Memphis Maniacs and, and led the team in rushing. So, yes, that's right. Yes, so those are probably the only three names I know. Let's right. I, we're gonna also go back to that before we finish up. Make sure I to remind me NFL Europe and the XFL. Okay. Um, what was I gonna say? I don't even remember what I was gonna say about the NFL Europe. Oh, no, actually, yes, I do. But anyways, <laughs> um, UFL. Let's talk about the UFL. Okay. So, thanks for sticking with us. I know it's a lot of leagues, but we're almost done. So the UFL, the United Football League, started playing October of 2009. They played for four seasons. The last one was cut short in October of 2012. They wanted to target non-NFL markets. Um, they got coaches like Dennis Green, Jay Gruden, Jim Fassel, uh, Kurt Schottenheimer. They all coached in the league at one time or another. So I actually did a piece on the Las, Vo- Las Vegas locomotives, or the locos as they, as they called them, for the Pro Sports in Vegas article that I did. Yep. And they were actually very successful. They were in the championship game every year that they had it. They won the first two championships, and then they lost the third one in 2011. However, the on-field success actually didn't translate to attendance numbers because the last game that the Locos played at home only drew 601 people. Yeah, yeah, it's Brutal. It's brutal. Those attendance figures. That's why they stopped the season because they were losing money hand over fist. Yeah. So, yeah, 601 people. I mean, stadium situation was very shoddy, um, very uncertain, I should say, in Las Vegas. You know, they weren't sure if they were going to play at the UNLV stadium or another football stadium in town. It was just a mess. So the league suspended operations after this home game. 
Um, they cited lack of they cited lack of profits and poor attendance figures league wide. Now, you had the New York Sentinels, you had the Hartford Colonials, which is a name that we didn't really hear a whole lot in the other leagues, but you had the Las Vegas Locos, you had the California Redwoods, which actually played in AT&T Park, but then they moved to Sacramento once again. Then you had Florida, Virginia. They were, you know, franchise basically moved from Florida to Virginia. And then you had the Omaha Nighthawks. So Interesting. Yeah, so again, non-NFL markets. Crazy. So complimentary or competitive? They actually, they wanted to be competitive against okay. uh, against the NFL. Um they were complimentary in a sense because they had, you know, players, but they wanted to obviously with the coaches I just listed off, they wanted to lure the big names in there so that they could they could compete against the NFL in the bigger market or in the non-NFL markets. So, okay. Yeah, they were they were actually a direct competitor, which I was kind of surprised because they were they were a spring league. All right. So, even though they were a spring league, they were a direct competitor to the NFL. And just to make sure I confirm here, CC, the um, XFL, I'm not sure if I asked this question or not, but I just wanted to confirm, competitor or complimentary? I can't remember if I asked that. Oh, Vince McMahon was not shy in saying that they were a direct competitor to the to the NFL. The X, Vince would say, did not stand for Extreme Football League because there was actually already another league that was named that. Um, since the NFL has and probably always will be referred to as the No Fun League, uh-huh. they're getting a little better, but... The XFL made it a point to say that they're the extra fun league. Oh. It didn't officially stand for that, but the XFL was just the XFL. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely gotcha. a competitor. Straight up. Okay, so the vast majority were were competitors. Now, I hope you guys learned as much as I did. This is um, an immense amount of information. As always, CC's always bringing the knowledge. He's dropping bombs. Boom. We're, we're learning so much with him. So I appreciate you, CC. Thank you so much for this. Um, before we get going, I want to talk about... Whether or not you believe, like, what what do you think about these um, these leagues and how it helped the future of the NFL as far as that's concerned? Well, something that the NFL was good at doing was that they culled the good ideas from these rival leagues and they adopted them so that they could be more successful. I mean, the AFL was a prime example of that. I mean, ultimately they merged, but, you know, you had, you know, different, different slight little variations on rules and niches and things like that. The NFL Europe actually served as a kind of a a proving ground of rule changes, like the overtime rule Mm -hmm. that we, you know, that was instituted in 2012, I want to say. They actually experimented with that in NFL Europe. So you had, you know, one team gets possession. If they score a touchdown, game's over. Right. But if they kick a field goal, then the other team has an opportunity to answer. So the NFL actually started that in the NFL Europe. So obviously being owned by the NFL, that was kind of a different dynamic. Right. But with, you know, the USFL, you know, the USFL was, you know, they kind of, I'll have to look at my notes here again, but let me go back to the XFL while okay. I'm doing that. The XFL actually, you know, the sky cams. Yeah, that I they was have bring that along. up. Yes. I was bring that up. Yes. So the sky cams actually came from the XFL and they were used in the preseason right after the XFL folded. And then Sunday night football on ESPN in 2002 started using it on a regular basis. So you had that sliding, you know, sky cam and yeah, the XFL actually pioneered that, which is 
kind of random that you could get such a such a nugget of gold from such a pile of crap that was the XFL. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I bet the NFL guys that are sitting there are like, thanks, McMahon. You, I appreciate you trying. You go ahead and sit over there. We're going to take your ideas from you. Boom. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. You know, the USFL, I think ultimately what the uh, – something that the NFL was really good of is is – looking on these minor leagues in the USFL, you know, you had Arizona, you had Baltimore, you know, you had Jacksonville, um, you had LA who didn't have an NFL team at the time. You know, the NFL was good to keep their ear to the ground and notice and say, okay, which one of these markets would be good? Mm-hmm. You know, you had Raleigh Durham in one of the minor leagues, you know, which eventually broached the market for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. It was just, if there's anything that the NFL is good at, it's putting its ear to the ground and saying, okay, these minor leagues are not going to succeed because they don't have the financial backing. They're going to throw a lot of money at our players. We may suffer for two, three, four years. But where can we put NFL franchises in the future? I mean, look at all the Vegas franchises that mm-hmm. these minor leagues had. Who's moving to Vegas in 2020? Raiders. The Raiders. The Raiders. The Raiders. Yes. yes. You're much better at that than I am. Ah, uh, just... <laughs> Raspy voice. <laughs> so, and 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 to, to to branch off of that too, um, the NFL Europe probably gave us the idea of, of European football. Like we're looking at you know putting someone over there. That's why they continue to have NFL games over there. To test that market. Exactly. Yeah. Right after they folded the NFL Europe, they started the NFL International Series, where two NFL teams during the regular season start a game. They play a game rather at Wembley Stadium mm-hmm. in London. And they've done that since 2007, the same year that the NFL Europe folded. Now they're branching out and they're playing other games. I want to say at Tattenham's, um, they're building a new stadium and they want to play more NFL games in ta- at where Tattenham is. Okay. As well, so there you go. They're they're broadening their footprint a little bit, but they have not played a game, an NFL game, exhibition or otherwise, on the mainland in Europe, like Germany or Spain, since they played a series of exhibition games from 91 to 94 in Germany. Okay. So that's kind of interesting that they're they're neglecting that market a little bit, but I guess you can only do so much when you have to fly players yeah. and worry about jet lag and things like that. So that's interesting to me, and I and I know um, they've mentioned Mexico was another one. Um, I wonder Correct. if the Continental right. Football League had anything to do with that, with the you know having Mexico as a fan base. They've played a few games down there in Mexico since you right. know I can remember. Not a ton. They don't focus on it as much as they focused on Europe, but I know that's something that's been in the discussion. You know, should they? put a team in Mexico. Um, so maybe they're l- looking at those little, like you said, they're, they got their eye out there. They're yep. looking, they're like, well, you guys continue to, you know, run your leagues, mm-hmm. do your thing. Yep. And we'll kind of just, you know, sit back and analyze. Well, and <laughs> yeah, Memphis is a good example. You know, they keep broaching the market in Birmingham, but Alabama Crimson Tide is just so prevalent oh, down yeah. there. You know, Sacramento, it's a curiosity why they keep going back to Sacramento for all these leagues. It's just, it's a big city. The only team, the only game in town is the Kings, and Mm -hmm. that's during the fall. So it's like, it makes sense to have, you know, the the biggest financial state in the union, you know, California. Eh, Why not put a semi-pro, pro team there in Sacramento? Right. Why not give it a shot? They have a, you know, Sacramento State has a 22,000 seat football stadium. So why not? Interesting, man. All right, CC. I appreciate you joining me, man. Um, is there any final words you got for us before you leave? Uh, what about your article? Let's talk about that real quick. Article's coming next Tuesday. Article's going to be coming up this, this, this coming Tuesday. Um, it's going to be specifically focused on players that get a second opportunity outside of North America in football, baseball, basketball, hockey, and kind of twisted around in soccer because the MLS isn't exactly the premier league in international play. So 
again, stay tuned for that. I kind of touch on the NFL Europe. Actually, I do touch on the NFL Europe because that's the league I'm focusing mm-hmm. on in professional football. So stay tuned for that. It's coming down the pike. Awesome. So you guys get to hear CC on today, Friday, when you when this, this launches. So Friday, and then again on Tuesday, you can read his stuff, get a lot of CC in the next week. I love it. All right, man. So for you guys out there, again, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music. Tune in. Uh, you can listen to it on Facebook. Go to my website, thegametimeguru.com. You can find the podcast there. Wherever you want to find it, do it. I would appreciate it if you could leave me a review um, on iTunes. It helps me out. And uh, share this with your friends. Get it out there for everyone to hear. But uh, as always, pleasure talking to you guys, and we'll talk to you next week. This is the Game Time Guru, out.